following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins from the Society of St. Pius V. He's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you? Fine, Tom. Good evening to you. Thank you, Father. It's good to see you here. You too. Father, just recently, on uh, June 29th, the feast day of Saints Peter and Paul, you celebrated the 40th anniversary of your ordination to the Holy Priesthood. So I'd like to take just a minute to first congratulate you uh, upon that accomplishment, Father, and ask, do you have any uh, any reflections, any comments upon these past 40 years of priesthood? I have many reflections of the past 40 years of priesthood, and I'd be very glad to tell you all of them. Okay. Uh, as you know, at some length. <laughs> but uh, I guess uh, one thing I, I would say is that I'm very grateful to God and rather amazed that he's put up with me all this time. Um, so, uh, I, as I say, I thank God for that. I thank God for the share that he's given me a share in his own priesthood. And hope that um, in the years ahead, you know, show the, uh, the benefit of those 40 years by being a better and better priest, right? Because our, uh, our model is our Lord himself, right? And no one can hope to live up to that perfectly. We can only aspire to that, right? Which we all do, hopefully. And, uh, and trust in God's grace to make up for what is wanting in us. Met a lot of wonderful people, a lot of really uh, devoted Catholic souls during that time. And uh, one of them has just passed away. Father Newman, Father Matthew Newman's grandfather, uh, Ron Tahista, died out in Great Falls, Montana, just this past weekend. And um, he was a, oh, just a wonderful man, I'd say, a, 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 an excellent example of a real Catholic gentleman. And we'll miss him, but as I told Father Skirke, who was a dear friend of Ron's, that uh, although he's lost a friend in this world, I, I trust that he and all of the fellow parishioners of Ron's in at Immaculate Heart of Mary in Great Falls will have gained a great friend in heaven. As I have every confidence that while I cannot canonize Ron, I have still have confidence that he saved his soul by virtue of what our Lord has given the church and the church has given to Ron. And uh, so I'm, I, I trust that, uh, again, Ron will not only uh, continue that great friendship he's had here on Earth, but he will also uh, be able to uh, be of great benefit by his prayers and his, his uh, singing with the angels in heaven. That's what we're praying for. We're praying for his dear soul. It's important for us to realize that uh, we pray for the souls that pass away with confidence that they save their souls. We have to have that confidence if they were faithful. And um, we have to, even if we're convinced that they, that they save their souls, we can't be convinced that they went straight to heaven. Because in order to do that, they would have had to have um, uh, satisfied for all of the 
all of the temporal punishment due to sin in life. But they also they have to have a perfect love for God. And, uh, of course, it's not up to us to make that judgment. Only our Lord Jesus Christ can say to them, Come, ye blessed of my Father, and take possession of the kingdom. You and I cannot do that, right? And so our position, our, our role is to pray to them. Pray to God for them, I should say. And uh, if they are in heaven now and they do not need our prayers, then our prayers can be used for the benefit of their loved ones still here on earth. So nothing is lost. Um, they still, the souls in heaven know uh, with a greater knowledge than they ever could know here on earth. And they, have, they love with the power of God loving, and not infinitely, but greater than any power of loving they could have merely here on earth. And so, uh, you know, with all of those dear souls who've gone before us, uh, because of their faith and hope and love for our Lord and their desire to be faithful to Him in life, we have a certain real confidence that they are now in the presence of God and singing the glories and, and the praises of God in heaven, or they're well on their way. And it's our, our role to help them by virtue of our prayers and our sacrifices. So I ask everyone to, to keep the soul of Ramtahista in your prayers, too. Sure. Father, I wanted to, uh, to personally thank you. I did a bit of quick math before the program, and I've, I've been a parishioner of yours for around 20-some years now, and during that time, uh, you've, uh, you've heard my confession hundreds of times, administered the sacrament of Holy Communion to me somewhere around a thousand times, probably, according to my calculations and uh, just five years ago almost five years ago you uh, officiated the wedding of my wife and I uh, just recently baptized our, our daughter so I uh, wanted to personally thank you for all that father and also for for, yeah. for putting up with me on this program over the last uh, year so I think well, that's thank usual. you for that <laughs> we should thank all the people watching too but it's uh, certainly an honor it's certainly a privilege to be able to administer the sacraments sure that our Lord has given us, and uh, it's always a great joy. Every time you baptize a child or marry a, a couple, there's always a certain amount of concern, too, because they have a whole life ahead of them, and there will be challenges, but there'll be graces, too, you know. So uh, I thank God for all of those. Sure. I guess the main answer to your question about the 40 years would be gratitude, mm -hmm. but also a great sense of responsibility. Uh, in every Mass that I offer, uh, at the memento of the living and the memento of the dead, I always ask God to have mercy on those souls for whom I'm responsible uh, in justice or in charity for any uh, benefactor, any, any, any time they've, they've been benefactors of me, or victims of a failure on my part. I, I pray every Mass for them. And uh, so the weight of the responsibility does not get lighter and lighter, but it gets... Um, I wouldn't even say heavier and heavier. Our Lord says, you know, my yoke is light, right? Um, but um, one, uh, you know, as time goes on in the priesthood, one, one understands and appreciates more and more the gravity of that responsibility. Sure. Well, Father, may God bless you and grant you 40 more years. Well, thank you, Tom. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
I, I won't comment on that. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> I'll leave that to God. <laughs> Father, we, we've got so much to get into tonight. Uh, there, there's so much going on between current events and our, uh, our email inbox, but one thing in particular, perhaps at the top of the list, is this uh, recent election of a new Superior General for the Society of St. Pius X. I know we have uh, many souls waiting to hear your reaction to this news. Well, as you know, uh, Bishop Fillet had been the Superior General of the Society of St. Pius X for, I believe, 24 years. So a quarter of a, of a century. Right? And during that time, he's, he's led the Society of St. Pius X through, well, I would say, a great deal of controversy. Okay, But not only external, external to the Society, but within the Society, there's been an enormous amount of controversy. Um, uh, a hundred priests or more left the society, even in recent years, uh, because of Bishop Fillet's policies of trying to um, adopt an entirely different approach toward the Vatican. And what we learned now was a quote-unquote rebranding of the Society of St. Pius X, a conscious, deliberate, expensive rebranding of the Society of St. Pius X. And the rapprochement with uh, the Vatican was part of that, a very big part of it. Now, whether the new superior, I understand, is Father Davide David Pagliarani, P-A-G-L-I-A-R-A-N-I, an Italian, uh, 47 years old, I understand. Father Pagliarani uh, was ordained in 1996. I don't know who was the bishop who ordained him. But I have here the notes uh, provided by a very good soul. Uh, he served chapels in Italy and Singapore. was actually the uh, superior in the uh, of the Italian district, right, of the Society of Saint Pius X for a while, and then became rector of Our Lady Co Redemptrix Seminary in Argentina since the year 2012. And now has been elected as the successor of uh, Bishop Fillet. What can we expect from him? I don't know. I I hear that um, he is a protege of, of Bishop Fillet, and uh, what little I have read of him, um, what little there is to know, is that he actually uh, supported Bishop Fillet in this new approach. Um, if that is indeed the case, then I'd say this is not a positive thing. But we can expect uh, more of the same that has gotten the Society of St. Pius X in trouble. <clears throat> and uh, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping it's not the same. I'm hoping, I'm hoping he sees things differently. However, there are some very um, loud voices in the Society of St. Pius X uh, still very much pushing for this rebranding to be to, to carry through, and uh, maybe it wouldn't hurt. You know, if we're talking about this, what does this new election hold for the future? It might not be a bad idea to talk about this rebranding situation because I bet you there are a lot of people out there who understand that there's something going on, but they don't know what or why. Uh, there are a lot of people out there uh, who are. You know, in the Society of St. Pius X chapels, but also who are not, who are in other traditional Catholic chapels, who see, uh, for good or ill, I mean, whether they approve it or they don't, 
they might not really be aware of the fact that uh, some years ago, there was a conscious, deliberate decision at the very top of the Society of Pius X to rebrand, to seek a new public image. And that new public image involves um, not being negative, um, you know, not condemning Vatican II, uh, not talking about the evils of the new mass, uh, simply talking up the, the, the nice, happy things of the society but not pointing out the evils of the Novus Ordo. And um, if, this, if this really is the new brand, and I'll, I have some information here that I wanted to read, actually, to, to explain what this means. If this is the new approach of the society, they should change their name to the Society of John Twenty-Third. They might even want to change their name to the Society of St. John Twenty-Third, as the Novus Ordo calls him now. <clears throat> because this was his approach to everything. This is the modernist approach. This is the Novus Ordo approach because of its ecumenism. You can't criticize other religions. You just talk about the value and the benefit of your own, okay? One among many, okay? <clears throat> you might even talk about the nice things about the other religions, but you talk about how your religion has something unique <clears throat> and special about it uh, that others don't have, but that's not by way of criticism. You talk about the nice things. And so the Society of St. Pius X <clears throat> adopted this policy of talking about how, how nice it is to have tradition and the, the beauties of chant and, and, and so on, but lay off criticizing. Now, you may wonder, uh, you know, how did this happen? Or has it really happened? Well, as a matter of fact, yes. Uh, one of the early indications we have of this <coughs> comes from um, a man who is very uh, much in vogue. He's actually the United States Superior, District Superior, for the Society of St. Pius X. And his, his name is Father Jürgen, Jürgen Wegner. Father Jürgen, Jürgen Wegner, I'm sorry. Pretty tired right now, so I'm going to have a little trouble pronouncing these names. Father Jürgen Wegner is the Superior General of the District of the United States for the Society of St. Pius X. And um, he has quite a history in the Society. I think he was ordained in 1991, so he's been with them for quite some time in various positions of authority. And he actually takes credit for uh, instigating this rebranding of the Society of St. Pius X. Uh, in the, the Angelus, uh, dated January, February 2012, he actually makes, makes mention of it, explicit mention in his opening of the uh, Angelus and his introduction of the new Angelus. He closes this, this page by saying, a third characteristic of the new style is its positivity. He's talking about the new style of the Angelus. It's positivity. Bare of any aggressive and imposing element, it commits us to a positive way of writing. For sure, we will have to denounce outrage wherever it occurs, but mainly we want to stand out by positive reporting, by well-written sound articles. The Angelus wants to be attractive by promoting the splendors of tradition, the beauty of the faith. One well, might have read that in the year 2012 and thought, well, you know, okay, we can, we can go with that. Little did they know what was behind that. 
And he ends by saying, with my best wishes for the year 2012, Father Jürgen Wegner. But we find the, the actual significance of this rebranding when we turn to um, a letter put out in June of 2013, which, which actually, it was a sermon given, a sermon by a Father Girouard, a Father Patrick Girouard of, uh, uh, well, actually, he was considered one of the priests of the resistance, so he's a priest who, who left and or was evicted from the society, probably marginalized, silenced, and left the society. And uh, Father Girouard is writing, is, is actually giving a sermon about what happened to him and why it happened. And this uh, sermon is dated June 2013. What he says here really tells us the significance of this rebranding and how deep it goes in the society because it, it, is, it is actually the foundation of what we're looking at happening right now. Okay. And has a lot to do, I believe, with this, this, this election. Uh, Father Pagliarani. Here's, among other things, what, what Father Girard had to say. He said, I saw the documents that came out from Bishop Vallée, especially his declaration of April the 15th, 2012, that he brought to Cardinal Leveda. <clears throat> a little bit of an aside, Cardinal Leveda <clears throat> was the man chosen to be the head of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. So he was supposed to be protecting the purity of the faith. One of the first things he did was did he do away with with uh, with limbo, the limbo of the infants. But he was also uh, being subpoenaed back here in Portland, and uh, maybe one of the dioceses uh, for being questioned about uh, the immoral abuse of children under his watch. So he's the one who was chosen to be <coughs> the watchdog, as it were. Of the, of the integrity of the faith. It's, it's inconceivable, but it's true. But anyway, um, the declaration that Bishop Fillet gave to Cardinal Leveda as the basics for an agreement with Rome. And when you read that, you realize the society is in deep trouble because in that declaration, in that draft for an agreement with Rome, Bishop Fillet accepts the new code of canon law. In that draft... In, what does he say here? He also says that the new Mass has been legitimately promulgated. He also says that he recognizes the magisterium of the Church of today and that he is ready to sign the 1989 Profession of Faith of Cardinal Ratzinger. Which profession of faith, as I have explained to you before, is one of my, in one of my sermons, is very bad, especially the third which basically means that the priests who will take this oath of fidelity, the one drafted in 1989, will accept to submit to the modern magisterium, that is to say, to the modern teachings of the Pope. And he's talking here about the modernist pontiff, right? Whoever he may be. Now, I'm not going to read the entire sermon, as I say, but quite a bit of it is very instructive. And the parts that tell us the significance of this rebranding are important. And so Father Girard says in, in June of, 19, of 2013, 
And you have the same reaction any good and normal Catholic would have in front of those documents. You have understood that you, that we, have been misled for the past couple of years, that the society has done a 180 degrees. And this is why you have decided to start your own chapel. In other words, they simply disassociated themselves from the Society of St. Pius X because they understand the significance of what's being done here. And he continues, And one of the things I would like to share with you about my conversations with Father Wegner in October, and this relates to his announcement that they have undergone this rebranding back in January, February of 2012. The thing that will explain why you do not anymore see the society criticize in a strong manner, in a vigorous manner, the evils of Vatican II, the evils of the new mass, and what happens in Rome. You would think that maybe it's just that we forget. The society is, it has forgotten its role of explaining the truth and battling against error. Maybe it's just a coincidence, just because your priest at that parish didn't think to talk about it. Well, that's what I said to Father Wegner. I told Father Wegner, I said to Father, look at the Dici website, look at the Angelus magazine, look at the website of the SSPX in the United States, look at the website of Father Couture in Asia, look everywhere and you don't see any spirit of fight anymore against Vatican II and the new mass. It seems to me that the society has become a blunt sword in the hands of the Lord. There is no cutting edge anymore. It is useless. And I thought he, that's Father Wegner, would say, Oh, you are wrong, or really, Father, we are still strong, and we are still fighting, and you are, you know, it's a misconception that you have. How can you say this? So I was really taken aback when he agreed with me, and he said, but yes, Father, it's true. <clears throat> well, Father Wagner agrees with me. So I thought I was making headway. I thought, well, that's good. Now that he understands the problem, maybe we will start to fight again. But then my jaw dropped was when he said that this was a good thing. This change was a good thing. Okay. Also, well, he explained to me how it came to be. He said, this is not just a coincidence, or it is not because priests are becoming lazy or they are afraid of Rome. No, no, he said, this is a decision that has been made in Mensingen, the headquarters of the Society of St. Pius X. This is a decision that has been made in Mensingen, okay? Yes, Father Girard, and this decision in Mensingen was made because we have been branded and there the word brand that was used. I gather this was the first time that Father Girard was even aware of it. So he continues, so here I don't know, you know normally you brand a cow. <laughs> but he tells me now that the society has been branded. So I was able to keep walking. I did not drop dead, but... <laughs> and then he told me, yes, Father, that is true. And I did it. Oh, you did it? How did you do it? <laughs> well, when I was in Holland, District Superior, I, and this is Father Wagner being quoted here by Father Girouard, I met with somebody, I became friend with the president of a company. And then he named 
me the name of the company. It was a Flemish name, which is too strange to remember. But he said, this is the fifth most successful company in Holland. So it is a very important company, a very successful company. And a couple of years ago, I visited them, and I met again with this man, and I asked him to take care of the society and to do the branding of the society, because that company is specialized in branding. Wow. Now, when I read these words, I thought, you know, I thought it was odd, more than odd, when I heard that the Vatican had hired a PR firm mm -hmm. to kind of take care of fixing up its image with all of this child immoral abuse, you know? They've actually got a company that they're paying to deal, to craft the image of the new Vatican. I thought, this is absurd. How can this be anything to do with our Lord Jesus Christ? I mean, you can imagine our Lord Hiram, PR firm. <laughs> it's, 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 it's crazy. And they've, they've done the same thing. But the, now the Society of St. Pius X did the same thing. They hired a, a, like a PR firm, a branding firm, a marketing firm, whatever, <clears throat> to craft the image of the Society of St. Pius X. And Father, uh, uh, Father Girard continues... Uh, he says that's the branding. He talks about the, the branding of Coca-Cola, Royal Cola, Pepsi-Cola. He, he talks about all of these things. And he says that's the branding to find out the striking difference of your customer. And then with the branding, they will say, well, your product is more, it has a little more bitterness or a little more fizz in it. And the color is more dark than the others. And so your branding should be that, uh, I don't know, Coca-Cola gives you a kick. I don't know, Coca-Cola is a product that has more kick than all the others. That is an example of branding. This I'm reading from his sermon here. And so Father Wegner asked that man of that company to do the branding of the society. And so that man said, quote, I will look into the society on the website. I will let you know, close quote. A couple of weeks later, he phones Father Wegner, and he says, Father, I refuse. I refuse the contract because I looked over your name, SSPX, and you don't have a good name out there. And I don't want my company to have the blemish of having you as a customer. So Father Wegner says, well, at least give us a chance. Let's hear our own side, what we have to say. I will organize a meeting for you and Bishop Fillet in Menzingen, in Switzerland, and at least give us the chance to answer all of your questions. And after that, you will decide. So the man said, fair enough. So they organized the meeting in Menzingen, and Father Wegner told me that the man went there and asked 150 questions to Bishop Fillet. <clears throat> and Bishop Fillet answered all of these questions. And it lasted six hours, for six hours. And at the end, that man said, okay, I will take the contract of the society and I will do your branding. I'd like to know what those questions were and I'd like to know what the answers were, but I think we're, we're seeing now played out what those answers were. So to continue, and uh, there's not much more, but what it is left is significant. So I don't know exactly how long this took. A few months, Father Girard is saying in his sermon, and I don't know how much it cost, but I talked with some people, 
and they think it was a bundle of money. And I wish they would have given it to us so we could have a nice church by now. And afterwards, he gave the conclusion to Father Wagner and to Bishop Fillet, the conclusion of the whole survey of the branding. And he said to Father and Bishop Fillet, quote, Bishop Fillet, the result of my survey is for the last 15 years, you had it all wrong. You will never get more faithful and more people to come to your churches if you continue this way, because right now the Vatican II Church is like an old man dying, and it's like dying flat on the street. Like they lose their seminaries, they lose their monasteries, they sell their churches, and it is a dying church. And you are really looking bad when you continue to fight that church. It makes you look like a cruel, or like you exaggerate, or like you are kicking somebody who is already dying. So your new branding has to change you completely. You have to stop arguing. You have to stop fighting. You have to instead go on the positive side and to show the beauty of the traditional liturgy, the beauty of the traditional theology, and that way people will not see you as cruel or bitter or things like that. And this is why, he says, since the branding of the society, Dici has changed, the SSPX websites have changed, the Angelus has changed, and in fact, interestingly enough, if you go back to the first issue of the New Angelus, what does Father Wagner say? Now that's what I was reading from at the very beginning here, right? Go back, if you have it, and read it. He says, we will not anymore put the emphasis on the battle and the fight, but we will put the emphasis on the beauty of the Gregorian chant, the beauty of art, and so forth and so on. So, go ahead, read it. It is exactly the branding of the society. And really, I had to put my jaw back into place because I said to myself, I thought that if there was one person in the world who was authorized and who knew better as of the branding or the definition of the society, that would have been its founder, the Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre. Not a layman who is not even a Catholic, who is not even a traditional how can you go ask a pagan to define what we are and what we should do? It is a complete madness, he says. <laughs> the last sentence I'll read from his sermon here. Now the society is in this trouble because, and I pick up here a sermon, because they have to follow the general chapter of 2012 where now they accept the principle of signing a deal with Rome. It doesn't matter if it's not signed yet, because you have accepted the principle. But yes, this is the principle, he says, we can do a deal with Rome without the conversion of Rome. And he ends by saying, and we refuse that, because it's a revolution. So, to read the entire sermon of Father Giroir, it certainly would be a worthy effort, and I recommend that people to look that up. <coughs> I don't know, perhaps we could even post a, uh, a link to it, I guess, on uh, WCB Ohio. 
But um, so there you have it. There you have it. An explanation of what is actually happening in the Society of St. Pius X by their bringing in the local Novus Ordo bishops and why they are trying to unite in one church two religions that they see as being mutually opposed to each other, which is the canonization of ecumenism. And the Society of St. Pius X is the one that is going to actually fall hook, line, and sinker into the trap of the modernist ecumenical movement. Now they, they are going to say, they're going to prove that in one church you can have two different religions that are mutually opposed to each other. And they're going to do this by reforging their, their uh, ecclesial ties with, with the modernists in the, in the Vatican. Father, this is, this is so <coughs> absolutely fascinating. You know, we did uh, just recently part one of the book Liberalism is a Sam. We worked our way through that. And I, I, the reason I wanted to do that, uh, discuss that book so badly is because it is so pertinent to today. It yeah. describes exactly what is going on here and the course of action that should be taken. And it's incredible to hear you read this, this approach of positivity. Uh, liberalism is a sin. The book directly contradicts that idea. He mentions our Lord, how he says, sure. he sure. calls the Pharisees, he calls his enemies, he says, you, you hypocrites, you, you yeah. children of, of the devil, basically. He says, you're worthy sons of your yeah. father, the father of lies, just the, the you generation of, of serpents and vipers, just the yeah. most harsh words possible. And, and he says, those who try and uh, have this approach of positivity and we're going to play nice and, and, like you said, focus on the beauty of Gregorian chant and all this, he directly contradicts that and says that is the exact wrong approach to take. And yet, incredible, you mentioned this, this idea of the blunt sword. And the liberalism and the sin book, he almost verbatim directly contradicts that when he says, the sword of the Catholic polemicist, when it wounds, let it wound mortally. Mm -hmm. He's almost the exact opposite of that. that you know, there's idea. a very good poem that I've lost track of, and I'd love to find it again. I think it's called The Rusty Sword, if I'm not mistaken. I thought it was by, by, by Lionel Johnson, but I, don't, I can't find it. If anybody knows how to find it and locate it, I'd really appreciate it. But I think, again, when I, when I read that statement of Father Girard about the, uh, the, ru the rusty sword in the hand of our Lord, you know, it kind of rhymes there too, right? I thought about that poem from, oh, 50 years ago. And uh, you're right, Tom, absolutely. I mean, that is liberalism. That is the height of liberalism. I mean, even Francis still understands the need to condemn error. Unfortunately, what he's condemning is the traditional Catholic faith. He says that when it's in the young people, it's like of the devil, right? He compares it to heresies, resurgent heresies. But, I mean, even Francis is capable of condemning something, even if he's condemning everything that you and I believe in, you know. But, I mean, this approach of the Society of St. Pius X now is drop the negativity, accentuate the positive, and, uh, and how is that consonant with the gospel, even? And the example of our Lord. It's the exact opposite. It, it, is, it is abject surrender. It is capitulation. It is uh, not only a retreat. It, 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 I mean, he wants to make the Society of St. Pius X, basically, a POWs and MIAs, uh, and have them let off uh, in the boxcars of the concentration camps, I guess. I, I, it's, it's suicidal for traditional Catholics. And Father Girard is absolutely right when he says it's madness. It's a revolution. Um, why they can't see this, um, 
I guess because I guess that's why he calls it madness, because madness forbids one to see the reality of what path they're on here. And Father, hopefully we can we can get into this a little bit more if we um, end up doing a, a part two of this liberalism of the sin book. But the author, Father Felix Sardar Isavani, he he talks about this idea of unity and uh, Catholics wanting to unite with liberals, and, and he asks hypothetically if this is ever possible, if this unity is ever possible, and his answer is no. Mm-hmm. It's it's not. There there's no such thing there, as a there's Catholic no common liberal. cause there. There's not. And There's he, no common principle to begin with, and no common goal to end with. It's 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 liberalism. It's modernism. It's it's a mess, Father. But yeah. uh, to switch gears here a bit, uh, to talk about uh, Pope Francis and some of his happenings. There's uh, of course a multitude of things to talk about. We just <laughs> recently mentioned this before the show. If one simply Google's Pope Francis and clicks on the news section, there's a plethora of, of events every day. Something new comes out that uh, it should be commented upon. But uh, just a few things in particular, Father, I was, before the program, uh, skimming through an article with you, uh, written in, in an Irish publication where there's a, a prominent Irish doctor who, uh, who was talking about the referendum vote on abortion in Ireland, and she laid this at the feet of Francis and said, "This is his doing." Although she spoke positively of this and said, "This is this." She's is. a favorite of abortion. Mm-hmm. She says this. So she promoted abortion in Ireland, and, and thanks, Francis. Yes, she she's says, she, she, she says that this is his. This is his doing. This is his church. This is this is where he's going. Mm-hmm. These are his faithful. These are he, his people. Mm-hmm. And she lays all this at his feet and says, "This is him." Um, well, you know, she's perspicacious about that. That she's a lot smarter. And a lot more honest than these yeah. uh, conservative Nova Serva yeah. Catholics are trying to ex- mm-hmm. just explain it away. Mm-hmm. I mean, while all of this is going on in Ireland, and while this is going on in Argentina, yeah. his home country, to promote abortion, Francis is organizing this this climate change conference in Rome, and they don't see the, the, the connection here that the climate change conference in Rome is really going to focus on population control. Yeah. And abortion is a, is a big part of that. Homosexuality is a big part of that, population control. So they, they think Francis was somehow sort of distracted by this population, uh, by this, this, this global warming, climate change thing, as, as sort of, uh, and was not paying attention to the abortion debate. But actually he was going, working absolutely against it. Mm-hmm. Because what he was promoting there in the Vatican with this big this big conference uh, is absolutely behind the promotion of abortion. While they were while they were in the streets trying to stop it, uh, uh, the, again, you know, the word madness comes to mind there too. He's as shrewd as a serpent. He definitely is shrewd as a serpent and as guileless as a serpent. <laughs> That's right. And, and Father, how? Uh, there is, uh, I don't have the details in front of me, but uh, if I remember correctly, there's some conference on families or something of the sort in, no, right, in yeah. Ireland, which is occurring soon, oh. and Francis is attending this, and it's it's almost uh, just like a slap in the face. To They've say, invited the LGBT uh, crowd to come in and speak there. Mm-hmm. They're going to be very prominent there. Yeah. Yeah, but how, 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 uh, how silly, how, how stupid is this to have a conference on families in Ireland Right after this ab- abortion vote, it's just—it's like a slap in the face. Well, you know, you wonder—you wonder when the people who still have any vestiges of faith left in them are going to um, have the scales fall from their eyes and see and acknowledge. 
Here's what I fear, okay? There are those who still have some very weak faith, but they still believe in the Catholic faith is the true faith, even though they're very confused about things. And I fear that their faith is tied to Francis. And that when they re realize, as they inevitably will have to realize, that this man is an enemy of the church, an enemy of the papacy, he's trying to completely obliterate the papacy as an institution. He's an enemy of Christ. When they realize this fact, and they, they can't deny it in, anymore, because they can't continue to live the contradiction between the Catholic faith and Francis, that they're going to actually lose their faith over it. I actually had that experience when I was talking at a university um, to the, uh, the, the Newman Society or Club um, uh, at, at a law school where one of the, one of the, actually the man who became the valedictorian that year of their graduating class in the law school put his head down and said, if I thought there was anything wrong with Vatican II and John Paul II, I think I'd lose my faith. And that told me there's something, there's something wrong with that faith. If your faith depends upon Vatican II and John Paul II, but I fear there are many of these Novicero Catholics, conservatives, whose faith depends upon Francis. And there's something mis there, that's misplaced. That's a fatal flaw in their faith. If they would lose faith over that, over a Francis, there's something wrong there. And I, I, I fear that there will be many who, who now uh, have lost faith be, because the Novus Order was taken off in, into modernism, into the swamp of modernism, where they're being devoured by the, the beasts of modernism. But now even those who have any, any faith left in them will lose that faith when they realize they can't reconcile that faith with what Francis is teaching. Um, so that, that'll really be a, a downfall, as I think the Society of St. Pius X is headed to a complete ruin. Mm -hmm. Unless this Father Davide, Davide Pagarani, changes course. Uh, we can pray for that intention. Right. Apparently, Father Francis is going to be met with a lot of protests when he comes to Ireland, so perhaps there's some vestige of hope left there, but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens there. But, well, it won't uh, be the abortionists who will be protesting him. <laughs> no. They'll be receiving him with open arms. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, also, Father, there's, uh, we just talked about this before the program as well, there was recently the, uh, the great hope of surprises. Francis, he made a surprise uh, wedding ceremony and uh, appear appearance on, uh, I think, this last Saturday at the Vatican when he, he married a couple there. And uh, there were some pictures that were, that were published from the event. And, uh, of course, the bride was... Uh, uh, her wedding gown was extremely immodest, low cut, mm -hmm. no sleeves, and uh, there's Pope Francis presiding over this this wedding. All yeah, they say they won't let tourists in dress like that, but they'll let this yeah. bride turn it into a burlesque show mm -hmm. right? for Francis, of course. Sure. But I mean, hey, Tom, look at the 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 entertainment that has been provided in that uh, satanic audience hall. In front of Francis, in front of Benedict, in front of John Paul II. This has been going on for years. I mean, look look at the example of the acrobatic acts and the circus acts that have been performed, where they have men and women performers who are, who are 
wearing practically nothing. I mean, the, 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 the modesty is gross. And you have pictures of John Paul II just staring intently at this young woman acrobat who is the type of, you wouldn't want your children to, to you, you put your hands over her eyes and usher, usher the children by. So uh, this is what's been going on in the Vatican all this time. By the way, I, I don't know if people are even aware of this, but the, <clears throat> there's a good bit of information about about that new audience hall that Paul VI had put in there, the Paul VI audience hall. You know, when you go to the top of St. Peter's and you go to the, go to the, the uh, cupola, you look down and um, you're essentially looking toward the... Uh, well, I guess you'd be looking toward the south at that point. On the south side there, you're looking down on the roof of this audience hall, and it's a weird shape, you know, and you think immediately, why is that shape so strangely? But then you, you begin reading up on this, and you realize that there, there's something very sinister about all this, and people have actually taken wide-angle lens uh, photographs inside the audience hall from the entrance, and the whole scene comes together in, in the, like the face of a serpent with the eyes and the fangs, the snout. And uh, it's, really, it's really quite astounding when you see it. I mean, even the slit eyes of the serpent, you know. When you, in other words, when you use a lens that takes in the walls and the, the far end and puts them all within the field of vision and it all comes together like that, you realize this is not an accident. And then you, you go forward, and they have this massive sculpture of supposedly Christ rising from the crater of a nuclear bomb, right? Showing modern man, you know, that modern man situation. And the figure of Christ is all distorted, and the head is kind of twisted, but there's this massive, I won't call it a shock of hair, but it is shocking, coming out of the side of his head looks very distorted and twisted and for all the world looks like the head of a serpent and you look at the, at the place where the pontiff of the new order is going to sit Paul VI and his followers and right where his head is there are two horns behind that show I mean, they're all, this is very very strange stuff here you know and I would that I were making this up but I'm not making it up. It's, uh, it's getting more and more, uh, I would say, notorious. And uh, everybody who looks at this sees it and says, my goodness, this is shocking. How can this be? Yeah. Um, there's something very evil afoot here. Our Lady defined it as the diabolical disorientation. Well, it is, I'd say, centered in the Vatican right now. Definitely. Father, one last thing I wanted to get here, uh, get to here. Just uh, recently, at the uh, earlier this month, there were uh, several articles going around about uh, the Vatican was was kind of bragging almost about this rise in consecrated virgins uh, across mm -hmm. the world. There's this upward trend and this uh, this vocation that they have of consecrating virgins to this holy state. They have thousands of women or virgins are consecrating themselves now. Right, and they say numbers are on the rise. They were, they were kind of bragging about this almost. But then uh, just recently, I believe a few, a few days ago, there, uh, there was uh, more follow-up articles, and they kind of they they cited some of the 
some various passages from uh, this document that the Vatican put out concerning this idea of consecrated virgins and that vocation. And, and just to read here, it says, The call to give witness to the Church's virginal spousal and fruitful love for Christ is not reducible to the symbol of physical integrity. Thus, to have kept her body in perfect continence or to have practiced the virtue of chastity in an exemplary way, while of great importance with regard to the discernment, are not essential prerequisites in the absence of which admittance to consecration is not possible. So, in order to be a consecrated virgin, you do not have to be a virgin. Okay. So, in order to be a consecrated virgin in the Novus Ordo, you don't really have to be a virgin. Right. Okay. Got it? <laughs> Got it. Like, and why, why not? I mean, in order to be a Novus Ordo Catholic, you don't have to be a Catholic. <laughs> and you just have to be a Novus Ordo, right? Mm -hmm. So, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Follows perfectly, right? So, it's all a fraud. Right? And the idea of being a saint, you don't need heroic sanctity. Right. right? You just need to be a good scout, good guy, and a good lady, good gal. Uh, and now you don't. You can be one or the other, depending on how you identify from one day to the next. As long as you're good at it. I mean, this is, this is the farce that they're making of the... Uh, of, of what they're trying to make of the Catholic faith. But we know they can't. They cannot dethrone our Lord. Right? And uh, God is still very much God, right? Um, and he is not mocked forever. Uh, there is a very serious price to pay. So because we understand that, you know, I mentioned earlier, not long ago, just a few minutes ago, about something wrong with the faith of those who would lose their faith when they come to realize uh, the real situation of the Vatican. And, and Francis, they can't reconcile their Catholic faith uh, with Francis's teaching, and they, they have a, an impasse there. And th they have to solve that impasse by understanding more about what faith is and the Catholic faith is, so they understand really why this is happening. Um, but, you know, Tom, when it, when it comes to all of this, y you and I have to um, have a very, very strong faith in our Lord. Because we see all these things happening, and uh, whereas we see so many losing faith because of what, what has taken place, we realize the modernists, as St. Pius X said, would lay the axe to the very meaning of faith, not just a doctrine of faith here or there, but the very meaning of what faith is. They would, they would attack that. And many have fallen to the, that axe. You and I have to redouble our 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 commitment to our Lord and our faith to our Lord that he really is the Son of God and uh, that he really does have control over the situation, that all that is happening now is simply a playing out of the prophecies that we've been given. As our Lord said, I tell you these things so that when they come to pass you may know. So we can't be shaken by all this. Rather, we should have the understanding that what's happening had to happen at some time. The fact that it's happening before our eyes should not shake our faith. It should confirm our faith. Because what has been foretold is actually taking place and could not fail to happen. Read Second Corinthians chapter, chapter 2. Spelled out there. Right? This is a, not only a fulfillment, but a confirmation of what Christ our Lord taught, that he is truly the Son of God, that his saints are truly in heaven glorifying him even now, and that there are saints now here on earth 
who are in the state of sanctifying grace and are striving to save their souls and fight the good fight, <clears throat> despite the Society of St. Pius X and its rebranding, who are going to fight the good fight and uh, extol what is true and condemn what is false. Both, okay? <laughs> um, and uh, so that's what we have to do. That's what everyone really needs to do who wants to be faithful to our Lord. They should return to the practice of the traditional Catholic faith and its integrity. Not like liberals, not try to be liberal traditional Catholics. That's impossible, right? Um, they have to be Catholic, and entirely Catholic, fully Catholic, in the total sense of the word. Um, of course, to do that, we're all striving for that, and that would mean that we'd have to be saints. Well, maybe that is what our Lord is calling us to be right now. Um, St. Louis de Montfort talks about the, the end times of the world, and he says the saints of that time will be such great saints that they will, in comparison, make the saints of the, even the early church look like shrubs compared to the cedars of Lebanon. Hard to imagine when you think of the great saints of the early centuries. But when you think about what uh, Satan has in store, what the Antichrist has in store for the faithful who remain, you can see that their love for God will have to be so powerful, and their love for truth will be, have to be so unwavering. They'll really have to be great saints. And it is for their sake that our Lord will allow it all to happen, for, the, for their sanctity and for their salvation. This is, this is the age that will have to produce great saints. So uh, let's try to be those saints and hopefully give that a strong faith and hope and love for our Lord to the coming generation, too. Father, thank you for being here tonight. Appreciate your time. Oh, you're welcome, Tom. Thank you very much. No By the way, I returned to Ron to history. Ron was a great supporter of what Catholics believe. And, I don't know, I'd... we'll miss his, his support here on Earth, but I'm sure he will more than make up for it <laughs> by virtue of his prayers now. So, uh, I... I posthumously thank Ron and so many others mm -hmm. for, for sending the support that we need to continue. Sure, definitely. Thanks to all of our viewers for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady of Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you and God bless you.